Good to be with you today. If you're uh, new here, uh, welcome. Um, if you're new here, you don't know that these two people are married. And, and that's, yeah, good job getting married and staying married. But I just want to say, like, it takes a lot of effort to figure out how to lead together when you have three kids. Thank you, guys. <laughs> that was choreographed. We practiced that. Uh, also, if you're new here and you don't know me, my name is Dawson. I'm one of the leaders here, one of the servant leaders. I have the privilege of, of serving here. And I am one who continually is growing and learning what it looks like to lock eyes with Jesus. And uh, again, I'm glad I get to do that with you guys. So, love to meet you if I um, haven't. And that 101 is a lunch. I'll be there. A couple of our other leaders will be there as well. If you are hungry, we have literally magical sandwiches. By literally, I mean they're from magical sandwich makers. So I think I can say that, that they're magical. You can come. We are wrapping up our summer series. Uh, our summer season, we prefer that word because we always are in a season where we ask Jesus to shape us in different ways. And we've called it the Bless Series, Bless Season, where we've talked about missional rhythms for everyday life. And we kind of narrowed them down uh, with the help of others uh, to five. Bless, listen, eat, Last uh, time we were together, we talked about speaking, which is really important. And today, we're ending with Sabbath. Sabbath is the last one. Sabbath, we believe, is a missional rhythm that tells a gospel story. And I think when I taught on eating, I said that that was my favorite. Uh, And it is. And Sabbath is the hardest one for me. But it is also, it also brings personally um, brings me most to flourishing when I practice it. So Sabbath, that's a, that's a potentially confusing word, like you don't even know what it means, or it might be a loaded word. And if it is, because you have some sort of history with that word, just for now, think of the word rest so you're not distracted, and then we might come back to that, okay? Some, some of that. Before we talk about Sabbath or rest, though, we need to talk about work. We have to talk about work. A little over a year ago, smack dab in the middle of the pandemics, or like the functional pandemic when people were um, literally not going to work and sitting at home and pretending they were fully dressed in front of Zoom cameras with their pajamas on, during that time, Wired Magazine released an article, and it was, uh, it was based on a bunch of different studies. Um, and the title of the article is called Japan's Karoshi, or Karoshi, if you're American. Karoshi was a warning, and we didn't listen. Okay? Now, the, that phrase Karoshi was coined, at this point, I think, over 30 years ago, in the 80s and 90s, uh, as... Japanese sociologists begin to study this phenomenon that kept happening, a very tragic phenomenon, the phenomenon of karoshi, which is actual death by overwork, where uh, it was often with middle-aged businessmen, um, they, they, they were seeing cases where men would, and, and women, but mostly middle-aged men would, would actually die from bodily 
failure or opt to end their lives rather than go back to work. And they called it Karoshi, and 30 or 40 years later, in the middle of a pandemic, Wired releases all these studies saying, we were warned, we're, we're, we haven't learned. Uh, some of the, the quotes that I, I might have even gone, there's a few different studies I looked at. <clears throat> One of them says, no large country in the world as productive as the United States averages more hours of work in the year. Um, political scientists say uh, that Americans, is another quote, work longer hours, have shorter vacations, get less unemployment, uh, disability, retirement benefits, and retire later than people in comparatively rich societies. I didn't exactly know how to start this because that's kind of like you don't really need studies for this to, to know that, right? I mean, when's the last time you went to someone and you asked them, so how are, how are you doing? And their response was, how am I doing? You know what, in, in a word, I would describe my life as restful. Or a summary word would be margin. I just have so much margin in my life. I'm at peace. Some of you are, 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 are uh, taking deep breaths, even as I say that. Usually the answer we get, what do we get? We ask people how they're doing. I mean, it's busy, busy, busy. And it's not, it's not like confession. I thought about this. It's not like this confession. It's more like a creed. Like, I'm busy. It's this, it's this uh, something that we're, we're not ashamed of, we're proud of. Derek Thompson, in another um, article in The Atlantic, he calls that thing behind that claim, he calls it workism, workism. And he says that uh, over the last 200 years, while for the poor and middle class, work, it's, it's a little bit different, work is a necessity, for college-educated um, people, work became like a religion that he would call workism. He says... Uh, the, the paragraph's called The Gospel of Work. The decline of traditional faith in America has coincided with an explosion of new atheisms. Some people worship beauty, some worship political identities, others worship their children, but everybody worships something, and workism is among the most potent of the new religions, competing for congregants. Now, some of us struggle with this. Some of you are, might be like, I don't struggle with workism, whatever that is. But all of us struggle with, with restlessness. All of us struggle with some sort of ism, whether it can be, I mean, the, the Pacific Northwest, I wouldn't say workism. I mean, maybe for Bellevue and like the, the Microsoft world that some people live in. But for the most part, Pacific Northwest would be characterized by different isms, like relaxism, chillism, uh, wanderlustism. Um, all of us have different isms. It might be one of those, travelism. It could be spouseism for some of us, whether it's my spouse is the problem or my lack of spouse is um, the, the problem. It could be parentism. Uh, no, Matt, there's, there's different isms, okay? It's simply put, it's just a, maybe a do I matter-ism that we are all working towards. Do I matter is, do I, do I matter-ism? And in, in many ways, I think, whether you fall into the category of somebody who overworks or not, all of us are at a great danger of committing spiritual karoshi, of trying so hard to say that I matter, 
And all of us feel it. We have this restlessness in us. There's something in us we're trying to, to, to matter, to finish something, say, I matter. Carl Rayner, he's a Catholic theologian. He has this haunting line. He says, in the, it's a little bit of a big line, bear with me. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, all the different isms we could be doing, okay, we learn that in this world there is no finished symphony. That's a big idea, but just track with me for a second. In this world, he's saying, we're all, we're all trying to finish this, this symphony. We want to say in the end, like, I, I matter. I was in Bluebeard, which is a coffee shop just down the road. If you, if you can't, if that idea of a symphony is too big. I was listening to, like, one of my favorite songs by this band called Tame Impala, it doesn't matter. And for some reason, the guy who's my friend, and I kind of joked about it with him afterwards, he, like, switched the track right before the climax of the song. And it left me with this like, ah! Like I literally texted him, why are you so violent against Tame Impala? To some degree, whatever our ism is, we're constantly living in this unfinished symphony of like, I, I need to finish. And, and Sabbath, a day of rest, a time when we stop with our isms, whether it's workism or anything else, is when we feel it most when we feel it, because you suddenly slow down and you have to deal with yourself. You have to deal with, your, with the state of your career. You have to deal with the state of your marriage, your state of your parenting. You have to suddenly, in Sabbath, in a moment where we stop and we aren't doing, we aren't working on the ism, we're, we're put in front of a mirror and we have to deal. So we live in this exhausted culture, everyone trying to finish their symphonies, right? And I believe that as a people whose symphony has been finished by Jesus, okay, we're just going to cut to the chase. Jesus did that for us. This is a missional opportunity in an exhausted world trying to matter, trying to finish their ism, trying to finish their symphony for the exhausted world to encounter a people that are at rest, that are at rest. They're saying, what's wrong with you? I, uh, seven years ago, this has been a seven-year journey for me, and I, by, like, it's still, like I said, it's still the hardest thing. But seven years ago, I was sitting on a beach right outside of San Diego by myself, without my, any kids. And I was, I was with a bunch of friends who were also pastors. And I was exhausted. I was cynical. I was only like in my mid-20s. And I was in this burnout phase already. And it got serious enough that I eventually got some help from somebody, a guy named Elliot Grudem, who's actually a guy named Wayne Grudem's son, if you've heard that name. If you haven't, it doesn't matter. And so he, he, for some, actually, if, if you do know his history, Elliot is somebody who now helps people who have entered into, like, pastoral ministry and find themselves very cynical and burned out. And you can... He who has ears, let him hear, okay? Uh, sorry, there's, there's just, I don't know why I went into that. But for a few of you, there's a correlation there. So I sat with Elliot, and he did something very quirky. It's really weird. So if you're like, that's weird, I was like, yeah, this is super weird. He had me sit down. I spent like a day with him. He had these two chairs, 
and he had me sit down in one of the empty chairs. I was going to bring it up here, and I was like, no, I was, be way too quirky. So just imagine a chair, imagine our chair. And he had me sit down, and I explained this fatigue. This, I explained my ism, my, which is workism and pastorism. And then he said, okay, I want you to stand, come over here. I know this is weird, but I want you to sit in this chair. And you're sitting now. This is a little weird. It's maybe, don't think too much about it, but pretend that you're Jesus and respond to yourself right now. And so I sat down. Imagine that I was still sitting over there, this exhausted Dawson, and I started sitting, I sat, he, I sat back a little bit, and I started saying, Dawson, I want you to know I see that you're, and he stopped me within 10 seconds, and he said, brother, your picture of Jesus is, is somebody who is walking you through an evaluation process, stroking his beard and leading back. And I was like, oh, that, that makes sense. That's a heavy burden to bear. And he gave me this picture right here. He put it in front of me, and he said, do you know this picture? It's from the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, and this is, the, this is that moment where all the kids are coming to Jesus. He says, come to me. And he said, where are you in this picture? I want to ask you that before I finish the story. Look at the picture. Where are you in the picture? Don't answer out loud. Okay. I studied it for a while, and I began to weep because I don't see, I didn't see myself in the picture at all. I was off somewhere working really hard for Jesus, uh, swept up in honestly becoming a missionary. And I wasn't in the picture. I'm going to leave that there as a cliffhanger. That was my state. Set for seven years, I've been on this journey of learning that I might need to be rescued from, from my impulsive need to always be rescuing people and working for Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger. And with that, we come to Jesus who says in Matthew 11, these words, come to me, all who are weary and need and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. I'm going to read that again, Raise, and I want, to, I want you to, as I'm reading it, I want you to examine your yoke, okay? I want you to, like, do a little test on your yoke like I did with Elliot on the chair. Examine your yoke. Here's a paraphrase of the same passage. Are you tired? Maybe burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with Jesus. I pray that as we spend the rest of our time. So Sabbath, back to that word. What is Sabbath? In a 24-7 world, that exhausted 24-7 world, living a 24-6 life with one day off might be this prophetic declaration that the world needs that there's another way to live, that rest is possible. Now, I said some of you might have some baggage with that word. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on your baggage with that word today. If you want to, we can offline. But I will say I know that there's a couple different approaches to Sabbath. Some people 
avoid it like a plague because it just sounds legalist, which is a Christianese word for just like, it sounds like law. Like, oh no, that's, we don't do Sabbath anymore. Jesus, Jesus even got away with that. There's some moments, that's like old stuff, Old Testament stuff. It's legalism. Some say, no, Sabbath was given like before the fall, which it was, by the way. God said we should do it. You better do it. I'm not going to break all that down. Um, a few of the people that have led me in this and people that are alive or dead who've written about this, the ones that resonate most, most with me said, you can approach it doctrinally, you can approach it morally, fine, but you would benefit a lot if you just approached it from a matter of what is wise, like what is wisdom? Because if you accept Sabbath as a gift, you don't have to deal with any of that and you can actually receive the benefits of everything that we were talking about so far. The, the call to Sabbath is first found in Genesis and then it's reiterated through all scriptures. In Genesis 2, I'm gonna read the passage Verses one to three, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Did you catch that? He, he blesses a day. He blesses a day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. He makes it holy. But the, the term, the Bible term holy means separate. He has this separate day, a seventh day, that is not like the other days. One of these is not like the other. He separates the day. In Exodus 20, there's a commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Keep it separate. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh, seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. So the word Sabbath most like literally means to stop. It's a day where we get to test those isms, like I said, and test how much we believe in the sovereign hand of God in our life. When we stop, what happens to me when I stop? Eugene Peterson again says, on the Sabbath, I remember what God's voice sounds like so that I can hear his voice throughout the week. Walter Brueggemann says, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days of their week differently. It's this, it's this day where we, we tune our hearts and we actually first encounter how untuned they are, how out of tune they are. So because I've been on a seven-year journey, my, my difficulty in preparing this was just like, I, I wish we could spend six days talking about this and then we'd rest on the 7th. Uh, I didn't, the, the best way I'm gonna, I figured out to organize it is just by stealing something from somebody, uh, a very wise woman named Marva Dawn. And I always feel bad when I steal something, I steal an outline. And then I found a book by John Tyson, uh, another friend of mine, and he stole it. So if he stole it, I can steal it. So here's the outline of what we're gonna talk about. Marva says that Sabbath is this. There's four pieces to it. There's four elements. Now on the Sabbath day, we're gonna talk about Sabbathing as a verb and like Sabbath as a 24 hour period that we resist, we rest, we remember, and we revel, okay? We resist, 
we rest, we remember, and we revel. So resist. What's that mean? The other word she uses is we cease, we stop. We resist working. We resist earning our identity. We accept our limits. And we live within boundaries. We accept the sovereignty of God in our lives. This is a quote from her. Marva Dawn says, On the Sabbath day, we deliberately remember that we have ceased trying to be God and instead have put our lives back into his control. Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to his sovereign hands all the things that are beyond our control and terrifying us. Once those things are safely there, and as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, our emotions can find truly comforting. On the Sabbath, we test if we really are human beings or we, we're not human doings. Slaves are human doings. Sabbath is a practice for people who are no longer slaves. Deuteronomy rephrases that Exodus commandment to take the Sabbath and it grounds it, reminds the readers, the Jews of their history. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then in verse 15, it adds something. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. This is so counterintuitive to the way, to the way we live. There was a time, the last time people tried to stretch the week out that happened was in, during the French Revolution. In France, they tried a 10-day work week. They thought, we need to get more work happening. And you know what happened? Disaster. The economy collapsed. Suicide rates went up. The whole country fell apart. Now, studies now, you can look up any study you want. They study productivity. Guess what they find out? Exactly what Jesus, what God commands is the best thing that is for us. You can keep working to a certain point. It's around 50 hours. And if you go beyond that, your productivity goes down. It does not go up. It's six days. Who would have thought? Maybe God wired it into our, into our bodies. Slaves don't get a Sabbath. They don't get a day off. They work till they die. Sabbath for us today still is a gift. It can be a gift that's this, it's this act of resistance saying, I'm, re I'm rebelling against Pharaoh and his empire in America. I'm resisting that. It's a day where we resist being human doings. So resist, it's just stopping. Let's move on to, to resting because I'm like eager to get these two misconceptions out really quickly. First one, misconception, when we start talking about Sabbath or, or resting, we need to know the difference between relaxing and resting, okay? Why do I say that? Some of us, some of you, need no coaching or, or sermons in relaxing, right? Like, you have a PhD in binging Netflix. Uh, I... I do too, because you mentioned, I'm not going to say what show it is. Um, 
I get in trouble when I do that. Uh, we have the gift of binging. I was just thinking as I was preparing this, like the pandemic did so many things for us. It made DoorDash like a super normal thing. Do you know the chronology you can, like, do you, do you remember how it used, like, we used to have to like grow food, right? And kill animals, that's a long time ago. And then some different things happened, all good things, and suddenly you can go and buy food at a store and, or you could trade like your dead animal for like some plants, that happened. And so now you can prepare it in the kitchen. Like restaurants were not a thing for most people, like not that long ago. Then we got restaurants, which I love restaurants. And then the last, it's like, right? It's just like the last couple of years. Like I know DoorDash, some kind of startups were happening, but now it's like super normal. Oh man, I don't want to have to leave my house and go to a restaurant to get food. Like it comes to you, okay? So this is a semi-related rant uh, that has to do with the fact that we're all really good at relaxing. But relaxing, you can relax super well all Saturday long and recognize on Sunday or whatever, whenever the next morning of your Sabbath is that no renewal happened, Okay. No renewal happened. Highly manufactured foods, highly manufactured entertainment are designed to stimulate our taste buds and our emotions. They're designed to relax us, but it won't renew us. We need rest and renewal. Disassociating, that's what that is. Binging or eating, that's disassociating. That's a way that you can get away from the slavery That's the way you can get away from the ism by just like numbing out of it, okay? That's why we do it, but that's not resting. And God actually designed something for that very problem. He invites us into this rest. The second thing that we need to uh, recognize, some of us, maybe the same people, probably a different group, that rest um, is not, can you throw up the next one? Uh, Day off. Why, why do I mean that? A lot of us might be saying, yeah, I have a day off. Like I have this, this one day where I don't go to work. Um, but that day off becomes the day where you do all your other work. Literally, like you're like, oh, I didn't have time to go through the budget and go to the bank. And, and so we, we, we just do, we fill, and we, it's very normal. It's not, it's it's just what we do. We fill that sixth day, that, that extra day with our other work. Eugene Peterson, last quote from him, third one, he calls this a bastard Sabbath. He says that's the illegitimate child of the gift that God wanted to give you. And we weren't designed to work at a job forever and then to take a day and work for another pharaoh called me. It will kill you. It's, it's Karoshi. Okay, so resting is not relaxing. Resting is not taking a, a bastard Sabbath. It's something where you are able to stop enough and allow Jesus to care for all the unfinished symphonies in your life. And you say, okay, I'm okay with that. The, the scholars have pointed out that the end of Exodus 31 Let me read it. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, 
He rested. Listen to this. God rested, which is crazy. We're not going to talk a lot about that, but that's crazy. God rested, and then it says, and God was refreshed. God was refreshed, and scholars have pointed out that that word refreshed means to exhale, to catch your breath. It's like at the end of this, God God did six days of work, and on the seventh day, he goes, (sighs) on the Sabbath, it's a day where we can test whether our bodies and our souls are able to exhale with Jesus. It's where we practice this psalm and see how we respond to it. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Can I exhale after that? In vain, you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, but he grants rest. So we actually rest, which is different than relaxing. The third thing we do, Marva says, is remember. Remember. And by remember, I mean we practice on a day of rest living out what we believe about our identity. We practice spiritual sonship. We resist that religion of workism. I remember that I'm a son. John Tyson, who I mentioned was one of the sources, he brought my attention to another John, the disciple John. The disciple John. And I, I never really noticed this before, this progress of the disciple John. If you remember me on the beach, I was very, I, I was cynical and I was burnt out, but I was a very zealous person. Disciple John is described as early on in the Gospels as a son of thunder. He's always at the center of action. He's this driven, passionate person. Uh, for example, Jesus goes into a village. They don't receive the Gospel, they don't receive his words. You know what the son of thunder says? Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy the village? Like, that's the son of thunder's passion, this zealous disciple of Jesus. He's, you know these, these stories, the disciples get in these fights. It's so crazy. Which one of us is, is greatest? They, multiple times, it's like they're always looking, how am I doing, Jesus? Do I matter? There's this, this big time do I matterism. They're this little mob of workists, right? The Last Supper. This is the Last Supper, the night before Jesus dies. At this point, something has changed with John. The rest of the guys are still workists. I mean, Judas betrays Jesus. Peter says, I will never betray you. And you know what John 13, how it describes the son of thunder who had been with Jesus and something had changed? It says in John 13 that John is is lying down. And the only reason I brought up my little personal story, you can throw that picture back up again, is for me, when when I'm talking about Sabbath, don't, like, I don't even have, I don't, you can email me. I don't care about, like, commandment not. I've recognized over the last seven years that for me personally, Sabbath is a weekly invitation for me 
to not just like enter the picture and go and sit on Jesus' lap like this little, but can I lay down on Jesus? And I'll be honest with you, Laurel's, I think, in the back. I can't. Like a majority of the time, I still can't. And being a pastor is so strange because your work is tied. You're like people about Jesus and caring for their, it is so hard for me to, 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 to lay down and not be the savior. It's really hard. But this is our invitation, regardless of what your ism is. Where are you on the picture? And nothing, I don't think that John, the son of thunder, I mean, goodness, read the rest of the stuff he wrote. There's still a lot of passion in it. But there's also this man at rest and his, the, the later chapters of John are just this love fest thing that he describes. So remember who we are. We're sons that get to sit in Jesus' lap. We get to lay our head on Jesus' chest. And if that's a little too, like, for, if that's a little too prissy, what? what? Touchy-feely. Yeah, you saw it. Deal with it. It's in the Bible, guys. Like, John laid his head on Jesus' chest. Okay. The last one. And I like the word that they use. I didn't come up with it's revel revel that's the last piece you can go to the fourth I think I have it da, 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 da. resist rest remember and revel it's just like this good word the other word is feast think feasting that's the last piece of Sabbath feasting on the Sabbath we get to feast on the goodness of God the Jewish philosopher Philo, which was a contemporary of Jesus, he said, on the Sabbath, we celebrate the birthday of the world. Isn't that cool? Seventh day of the week. We celebrate the birthday of the world. We celebrate that we live in a benevolent world. If you're new here, that's a code that someone's kid needs some help, okay? Don't be distracted. Unless you are the parent. Be very distracted. So we feast. According to the rabbis, on the Sabbath, quote, we praise God, we enjoy food and drink. This just got really better, right? Like, pray and play, okay? I'm going to get really practical. So, uh, I'm going to share some of, like, how we do this. And again, not because you have to, but it's just like, it's like I desperately need it, and it's been a gift. And I, I am talking about a 24-hour day but I'm also talking about a, a way of life. Hopefully you've caught on to that. So Laurel and I have worked on this for years um, and we still, you know, we keep adding to it, changing things. Um, but what does it look like? It, I really would recommend, again, it's this gift from Jesus, clear 24 hours of your week. Like, do it, try it. it uh, for us, uh, it took me a long time um, to we, we've shifted a few times. I tried to do a Sabbath and I had like this bastard Sabbath mixed in and I didn't realize as a pastor, I work on Sundays a lot and I actually started only like in the last couple years taking Friday off so that that could be my work at home and get things done that need to be done, like real stuff that really does need to get done. So I work for the church, like in terms of 
uh, my job Sunday through Thursday. I take Friday, and our kids, you can ask them, we have a work day. It's called a work day, and that's when they have to change their hamster's cage and their other, other stuff like that. It's our work at home day. But it's really fun because all day we're preparing for Sabbath. And we work on Friday and Sabbath begins at 5 p.m. on Friday night when Laurel rolls out the sourdough uh, dough for pizzas. Because we have pizzas every Friday night. We make pizzas together. And then because we have really small kids, we do a movie night. The very first part of our Sabbath is a movie because they're fun, and we pick good movies. And so we start on Friday night, and then we just party the Jones way from Friday about 5 p.m., and we cheat and go a little extra till Saturday at 7 p.m. And then at Saturday, 7 p.m., I allow my brain, like last night, I got to think about my sermon. So I, I allow to switch back, okay? That's me. For you... It might be a different day. You might need Saturday to get all your work done, and you might really need to redeem what has traditionally been called the Lord's Day Sunday as a true Sabbath, okay? And there's different ways you're going to have to modify that because you might come here and you might have to serve our kids. You need to figure out if that fits into your Sabbath or not. But pick 24 hours. A couple of tips. We try. Okay, I'm going to list all these things. Half of them we keep modifying, we don't do, so don't hold me to all of it. Just like think of it as like this, this brain uh, spill, okay? We try to turn off our phones for 24 hours. That's why you can't get a hold of me. Um, we sleep in on Saturday. We tell the kids, you cannot wake us up on Sabbath. They know that. You can't wake us up on Sabbath. We, we read, we, we drink coffee. T- uh, Sabbath is a time for museums, for laughing, for Legos. It's a time for sex. It's time for going on walks. It's a time, some of you just woke up when I said that. Uh, It's time of naps. The Jews had a name for the naps that happened on Sabbath, the Sabbath schluff, okay? It's it's like Sabbath naps are really good naps because you're not working on your unfinished symphonies. You can just like, oh take a nap. Uh, We have like, we invest into season passes for the zoo here because it's just an easy way to go. This is going to be a little controversial, but some of you need to hear this. We don't hang out with people that don't bring us great joy on the Sabbath. And I say that because so many of you are leaders and you're zealous missionaries. You can stop from caring for people. If they call and you felt the freedom from the spirit to say, hey, can I call you back on Monday? That's okay. And I've had to learn to do that, okay? Now, there's all, there's, then when you're doing that, have super fun breaking the rules. Like, have super fun, like, Jesus, he breaks the rules. He goes and he heals on the Sabbath. And all the legalists get really uptight about it, okay? He breaks the rules. He has fun. Do you remember what he says, what Jesus says to the legalists? He says, um, Sabbath is, why can't I think of it? Yes, Sabbath was created for man, or was it given? Sabbath was given to man, not man to the Sabbath. Here's what's important. What did they need to hear? They needed to hear that Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. They needed to hear that men are not created for Sabbath. We need to hear the first part. They need to hear the second. What we really need to hear is that 
Like Sabbath is a gift that's given to us, okay? All right, a uh, couple things with that. Um, actually, here's the way I picture it. Sabbath, when you start living, when you have this day of rest, this is, this is how it eventually gets. It becomes, becomes the center of your week, okay? And it looks something like this. Oh, man, Sabbath is just a couple days away. It's coming. Yes, I think I can do Friday. And Saturday. Hold on, I'll qualify this. I think I can do Sabbath. I'm, ex- I'm so excited. Sabbath. Then you, then you come, you enter into Sabbath, and you're like, yes, Sabbath. It's amazing. Jesus, thank you. You, like, you. you experience the Sabbath. You feast, all of that. And then guess what? The day later, you get to live off of the Sabbath rest that you had before. That was an amazing Sabbath. That was so good. That was so good to be reminded of who I am and just play Legos with my kids all day and not have to, not have to worry about whatever my ism is, and then guess what? When you get right about here, you turn around, you're like, oh, another Sabbath is coming, and you can live this way continuously. And I want to caveat it. It's, it's so far away from disassociating. It's just living in the rest that God gives you, and he wants us to enter into his rest and to live in that rest all week long. Sabbath changes every day of the week. Sabbath is coming for you. That's one thing I couldn't figure out when I was going to say it. But I want to say, either you embrace the gift of Sabbath or Sabbath will sabotage you. It will find you in a place where you are tired and you can't keep going. I was reflecting on, on my as I was like reflecting on my story, I remembered that um, about that same time I entered into a pastoral residency with about 11 other guys and 70% of them are no longer doing this because Sabbath caught up with them. And that doesn't just relate to pastors. It relates to whatever your ism is, okay? Whatever your ism is, it will crush you if you don't learn to live in the Sabbath rest that God provides. And I just think that one day a week is a best way to test that and best way to to exercise it, to practice Sabbath. All right, so back to those objections. If you're struggling with the, the legalists, like, oh, but that legalism, it can be so destructive, then don't think of it that way. Like, don't, then don't, don't do it like that. And if you feel like, oh, I don't know, I feel like we're in a new covenant now, it's different, okay. Then try not Sabbathing at your own peril, is all I'll say. Own peril for your body and own peril for your soul. So please don't go around saying, oh, it's Soma, they think you have to take seventh day, a day of the, it's, it's just wisdom. And by the way, they study, do you know the Seventh-day Adventists who actually really do take a seventh day off? There are studies, multiple, Google it, that show that those people, there's a lot of things that are backwards around some of that thinking, but taking a seventh day, there are studies that show their life expectancy of that group of people is seven years long. And if you want to get super nerdy or suspicious or kooky, if you add up the Saturdays, it kind of equals to about seven years, just saying. Okay, all that's 
I'm just saying, don't take it as a rule, take it as a gift, okay? So, Sabbath, A.J. Swoboda down in Portland says this, Sabbath is a scheduled weekly reminder that we are not what we do, who we are loved by. Sabbath and the gospel whisper the same thing. We do not work to get a place where we finally get to breathe and rest. That is slavery. Rather we rest and breathe and enjoy God that we might enter into. Last invitation for us. I think I had one more slide. All of this hopefully sounded like really good for your soul. But this is also like I, like I kind of gave a little glimpse of at the beginning. This is a missionary activity. Because if we are a people that live a life of resistance against Pharaoh, of rest, of remembering our identity, of reveling and feasting, that kind of resting, that kind of presence in our city in an ex- is a missionary. And I just want to make sure that we, when we talk about mission, that we don't hear it as this heavy, you have to go, you have to run hard. We can sometimes think it's like Michael Scott in the office in the fun run, if you know what I'm talking, you remember that episode? If you don't, here's what happens. He signs up for a race, he's never done it before, but he really wants to try really hard and he carb loads with fettuccine pasta like right before and then he's, it's supposed to be this race for a good cause. It's like fun run for rabies, even though rabies has already been cured or whatever. And, and he's running really hard and, and he's going and, and they're offering him water. He's like, I don't need water. People with rabies don't get to drink water. And like, he's, he's like, no, no, no. And then you remember what happens? Like he like collapses and, and, and then after the race, who is it all about? It's all about Michael Scott and how he couldn't make it and how, oh, and like I tried and, and, and he's all sweaty and sometimes, I'm landing very intentionally on this, on this point with a Michael Scott image. Our exercise of God's invitation into mission and living intentionally on mission is it's like, really? You don't need water? Really? You don't need rest? To live out on mission, in part, is just, sometimes, it's just resting and not being in a... And then out of that rest, we live six days a week, and we bless the gospel, okay? So let's be a church on mission, but not a church of Michael Scott's on Fun Run, okay? <laughs> I wanted to bless you with that last image, okay? No, I do want us to, to respond. And Brittany, you can come up here, and Mark as well. And... I want to pray a blessing of rest over us right now. So if you want to, we kind of have a habit of posturing ourselves physically. Um, you can do that. Or you can, if you need to, you can just put your hands like this. Or you can put your hands like this. You can stand up. You can kneel down. Or you can sit back if you want. Jesus, we ask that we would enter into your rest. Don't have to give us sonship. You died for all all against you. You died for the, on on a day of Sabbath, we can lay our heads on your chest and let you care. Sometimes it's a time. 
the grief of our life, the grief of things happening to us, of rest on your, on your shoulder, on your chest, where you can tell us you're okay, it's okay, fresh. The experience that our spouse, some of our spouses desperately need a spouse who would stop. Our kids need that, our neighbors. And may when we do talk about the giver of rest, may it ring so true. I pray that because we bring